And uh, this is one of my favorites, talking about water baptism. And I, I want to say this here. It's one of the ordinances of the church, uh, one of the sacred or sacerdotal duties, along with, you like that word, huh? Sacerdotal, yeah. Uh, along with the Lord's Supper, that we are personally commanded by the Lord to do as part of establishing his church. Now, in saying that, because we use the word sacred or sacerdotal, and it sounds very kind of high churchy, um, people think that, oh, you got to be a priest or a pastor or something like that to do this. Listen, if someone's at your home and you lead them to Christ, and it's the middle of the winter, and they say, I want to be baptized, fill up your tub. You know, fill up your tub and get them in the grave. You know, do this stuff. You're called to do this stuff. Have communion in your home, at your kitchen table, and you have folks over. Don't think that, you know, the meaning of sacred means it has to be done in this building or a building with a spire. It has to be done out of an expression of your heart. That's what makes it sacred. Okay? It's important that you're doing this stuff. Okay? So... I just wanted to get that off my chest. So Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, baptism is also listed in the book of Hebrews as one of the foundational principles of the doctrine of Christ, Hebrews 6, 1. And I'm reading this one from the message because I like the way it reads. So come on. Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Not cool. <laughs> Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God helping us, We'll stay true to all of that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. Let's do the stuff. So what are the origins of water baptism? First, under Noah, it was a universal event. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might, he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now listen to this. Baptism, which corresponds to this. So the great flood in Noah's day, for the eight who survived it, was a baptismal experience. It was a universal baptism of the whole earth. Okay. Under Moses, it was a national event. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the, from the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, 
and the rock was Christ. In the New Testament, baptism is an individual decision. Matthew 3.13 Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. That's why we have thunderstorms every year when we do this. Okay? The heavens are getting opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So two important things to note here. Jesus called his baptism a fulfillment of righteousness. Now, if it was so for he who is without sin... I mean, he didn't have to be baptized. The baptism of John was for repentance from sin. Jesus had no sin, but there was something in the action, something in the public demonstration that brought forth righteousness. How much more so for us who were born in sin? Will it be a righteous statement to the world who is watching? The other thing there is that heaven agreed. The Father spoke and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form. So we find Jesus continuing the practice of water baptism in his own ministry in John 4. It says, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So you see that he had them doing the work, although it was a sacred event, Jesus still had the disciples doing the work. So it's all right for you guys to do this stuff. Then, of course, the early church continued the practice in Acts 10.44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Uh, Just a side note here. uh, John the Baptist speaks of two other baptisms which Jesus will perform. In Luke 3.16, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So then we see in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So there are two 
additional baptisms that are available to the church. One is the Holy Spirit, and the other is fire. Now, if if you're under uh, the idea that, you know, well, yeah, we're familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the fire thing, you know, is just for Pentecost. Uh, we've got video. We have got video of fire baptisms in Mozambique where thousands were gathered in worship and the mighty rushing wind came in and fire just came and settled on all of them. It's just awesome. So right conditions, right heart. God knows how he wants to and what he wants to immerse us in. And so, you know, just because it's not common doesn't mean it's not available. And if you're really brave and want to pray that prayer, God baptized me with fire, go for it. So there are two important components to water baptism which must clearly be understood to avoid error. And there's a lot of error uh, when it comes to subject like this. Uh, the first is the method. How are you going to be water baptized? There are actually three methods used in the church today. And when I say church, I'm using the broad stroke, big wide brush. Actually, it's a roller. Okay. Keeps getting broader. There's sprinkling pouring, and immersion. So what does the scripture say, and how important is the difference? So Acts 2, 37 and 38 is going to be our primary verse. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, this is Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's preached Christ crucified and resurrected. And um, their response is, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the word for uh, baptized there is actually the Greek word baptizo, and it's found in Strong's Concordance under the Greek as number 0907, and it, the root word to it is the word bapto, which is... Uh, Strong's number nine, 9-11. How interesting, huh? <laughs> it means this. To dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge as a vessel sunk. To cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, and to overwhelm. To overwhelm, I like that. Not to be confused with bapto, 9-11, this is baptizo. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 B.C., and it's a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both words, baptizo and bapto. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, bapto, into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concerning the, concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. 
but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing, the act of baptizo of the vegetable, produces a permanent change. How significant, huh? When used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism, e.g. Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. There must be a union with him, a real change like the cucumber to the pickle. So our hope today for you guys who are being baptized down at Opeachy Point is that we will pickle you today. I want to make a point that I feel is very important in understanding how deep the symbolism of water baptism goes in demonstrating the life-transforming power of the resurrection in our lives. When the Bible was translated into the English language, the word baptizo in the Greek translated to the English word immerse. Baptizo means immerse, which presented a major problem to the church in England, which was doing the translation from the Greek into the English, because they did not immerse as their method of baptism. They poured water on people's heads. Okay? So easy enough to resolve. They just created a new word, baptized. This has as its intended meaning, and you can look it up, a sacrament of initiation into the church using the element of water. So when we see the word baptize, we automatically associate baptize to water baptism. Now let's see what that does to our theological thinking, just as in regards to Acts 2.38. When I attended Bible college with the Assemblies of God, this is what we were taught was the answer to the question, what must we do? Okay, this would be a paraphrase. If you were ever asked that question by someone you were preaching the gospel to, what must we do? This would be the answer from Acts 2.38. Repent from your sins, be water baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That is Assembly of God, Bible college, teaching and training. But that is not what the scripture says or implies. Nowhere does it say repent from sin. Is it up there? Yeah. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Okay. So it doesn't say repent from sins. It simply says repent. In other words, change direction. Change your focus have a change of mind, a change of heart. In other words, turn away from yourself. Repent and be baptized. Does anyone see the word water there? Hmm. Actually, you shouldn't see the word baptized because in the Greek, it's baptizo. And baptizo means what? 
immerse, immerse. Remember, baptize is a created word. It should say immerse. So now we can say, turn away from yourself and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole different song and dance, isn't it? So we can see that a full understanding of water baptism must be based solely on the idea of baptizo or full immersion, full immersion, both in water and into Jesus. Or maybe I should reverse that. <laughs> into Jesus and into water, full immersion. So let's quickly look at two examples in the scripture of a, of a water baptism, specifically a water baptism, Mark 1, 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan or immersed by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens open and the spirit descending like a dove. So he came up out of the water. That means he was down under the water in order to come up out of the water, right? Just logic. Second, and then Acts uh, 8.38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. It says baptized him. He immersed him, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So we see that the method of water baptism is full immersion. Okay. Second important component is the formula or the words pronounced as you are immersed. So if you're being water baptized, if you're being fully immersed today, when you go under the water, you're not going to hear what whoever is immersing you is saying as they put you down. You're going to hear the first part of a two-part sentence. Because of your statement of faith today, I now, and you're going to hear, but up above, they're going to continue that sentence. I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is the formula. Okay, It's the formula that is spoken over your life. Okay, Very important part. You find that the first issue that the Apostle Paul had to deal with in the Corinthian church was not sexual. A lot of people think that's all Paul dealt with with the Corinthians, but it wasn't. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you. So there was division, was the first issue. But that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me uh, by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else, 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So the big division in Corinth was people were saying, well, hey, I'm with this guy because I was baptized by him. So I was baptized in Paul's name. Paul was the one who did that for me. Peter did it for me, and it became divisive. See, so the formula spoken is very important that you understand who it is that is actually baptizing you, and it's got nothing to do with the person that's holding you as you go down under the water. It's the one that they represent. So what is the formula? And most of us would quote uh, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But if you look closely at the scripture in context, it is not a formula at all, but a command or a commission. As a matter of fact, these scriptures are called the Great Commission. Once again, there's no mention of water. It says, immerse them in the name of. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. And these signs shall follow them that believe. This is Jesus speaking. In my name shall they cast out devils. So you confront a demonically oppressed individual and you say, well, Jesus said, in my name, you'll cast out demons. So in my name, I command you to come out of him. How do you think that's going to go for you? Right? See, it's not enough to repeat the command. You must do what the command instructs you to do. Now notice that in the commission, it is the name singular. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, singular. And it's not names plural. So what is the name of the Father? John 5.43, Jesus is speaking. I have come in my Father's name. Jesus revealed the Father. What about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26? But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Let's take a look at the Great Commission as recorded in Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak in new tongues, will pick up serpents in their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So has anyone ever gotten tripped up by verse 16 there? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone ever stumble over that? And we all know that salvation has nothing to do with water baptism. Although some fundamentalist groups say that, it does. It's immersion into the name that saves. It's nothing to do with water baptism. Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
It's all about the name. Acts 4.11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The act of water baptism does not save us. It's immersion into the name of Jesus Christ. It's baptism into his name. So how do we apply this to water baptism? Let's look at the early church and see what they did. In Acts 10.44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for immersing, immersing these people. So here, specifically, the scripture focuses on water baptism. So we know that is what is going on, is a water baptism. Who have received the Holy Spirit as we have. And he commanded them to be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. So he's saying... We're going to water baptize these people in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to immerse these people both in water, but the formula, the method is in full immersion in water. The formula is full immersion into the name of Jesus Christ. So we'll baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. He's not repeating the formula. He's performing the command. So what is water baptism symbolic of? In Romans 6, verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized or immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we Two, we also might walk in newness of life. There is the power of the resurrection evident through the action of being water baptized. We too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Not good? Not good stuff. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. When you come up out of that water, you are going to be in the spirit realm, in the eyes of the Father, totally robed in the person of Jesus Christ. When you come up out of that water and the heavens are looking down, they are going to see Jesus Christ dripping wet. Not you. You have an awesome opportunity for a totally new beginning. I think about a conversation with Casey that I had before he left for New Zealand. Remember what I said to you, Casey? Probably not. Huh? 
No one knows you, right? He was going to go to New Zealand where nobody knew him. He had an opportunity to recreate himself in the way that he wanted to be known because no one had any former opinion of him. That's what water baptism offers to us. When you come up out of that water, you're a clean slate. You have the power through Jesus Christ to recreate your life in a manner that pleases God because you will be totally clothed. Paul says, I no longer live. The life that I live is Christ's life living through me. So what are the requirements? According to Mark 16, 16, it says simply believe. All who believe. In Acts 2.38, the requirement is repent. Turn from yourself. Acts 2.41, receive his word. Jesus said he is the word. Finally, and I love this part, expect a miracle. Expect that something is going to happen. Everything could change. Not just something, everything could change for you. Listen to these scriptures. Matthew 3.16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, consider Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and he said, The Spirit is like the wind. No man has seen the Spirit. It's like the wind. You feel the effects of it. You see the impact of it, but you don't see the Spirit. It's like the wind. It's invisible. But Jesus' baptism was so profound to heaven that when the heavens opened and the Spirit came down, now according to Jesus' teaching, he should have come down like wind. They could have seen the Spirit blowing on Jesus, you know, maybe would have blown dry in his nice hair or something or Yo, oh, it must be the spirit. Look at his hair's dry already. You know? But no, it was so powerful that the, the spirit of God was so excited, so enthralled with what was going on that he manifest himself in a bodily form to show how much heaven approved. And Father God spoke audibly. Wouldn't that be awesome if something like that happened for you? And you might say, well, you know, you really stretch it. I want to tell you about Isaac Tongo. Remember Isaac, Tom? Isaac was probably 12 years old at that time. He was a Sudanese refugee. He and his uncle lived in my home. They had come out of a refugee camp they had lived in for three years in uh, Ethiopia. Um, I remember the first day when they had to shower because they were deliced. You know, they still had all that white stuff in their hair. And I brought them in the bathroom and showed them the shower and said, now, you know, here's the shampoo and this. And I go and close the door. And about an hour later, I'm thinking, you know, I haven't heard the water run. <laughs> so I go back up and I go in the bathroom. And the two of them are standing in the dry shower, not knowing that they need to turn the knob. They had never been in a shower. That's how, how remote 
they had been, how removed they had been from civilization. So we were at Tom's uh, house uh, one evening for a small group meeting, and um, I forget what the discussion was, but Martha asked uh, Isaac, you know, if there was one thing that God could do for you, what would it, what would it be? And he said, I, I want to be water baptized. And she said, well, why that? You know, of all that, this is a 12-year-old boy. And he begins, tears begin to flow down his face. And he begins to sing in Maban, his, his native tongue. I have decided to follow Jesus. And tears are streaming down his face. Now, nice song. It certainly doesn't move me all that much. But Isaac remembered when he was maybe four or five, his parents had decided to follow Jesus and were executed for it. So for him, it meant something totally different. For him, it meant when he went down in that water and came up, there's a good possibility it would cost him everything. And he wanted it. He wanted it. Now, we brought him down to the beach. We brought him out into the water. When we put him down at the other end of the lake, a lightning bolt dropped and hit that lake. And when it did, a woman uh, uh, wasn't part of our group. She had come from another house. She saw us parading down, singing songs to the beach. She followed us down. When that lightning bolt hit on the other side of the lake, this lady dropped out cold in the Holy Spirit on the shore. So can the heavens open for you today? Absolutely. Absolutely. It all depends on what's going on in your heart. So when you go, expect a miracle. Expect things to change for you today. Go there with a heart of expectation because you've decided to follow Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray today for those who have come to this point in their walk where they have decided today is the day to make a public statement, to enter the grave as you entered to gra the grave, O oh God. Lord, to be raised up as you were raised up, to find newness of life as you exemplified newness of life, O oh God. You looked the same at times, but Lord, you were so different, so, so different, O oh God. Everything had changed for the whole world. Father, I pray that these individuals' whole worlds would be changed today as they come up out of this watery grave. Lord, that you would meet them, that you would speak to them, and that you would touch their lives. Clothe yourself in each of them, O oh God, that they might bring glory to your name and expand your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.